0: Digicom Weekly Growth Marketing Podcast.
1: Week on our Digicom Growth Marketing podcast, we have Kira Kessler and David Kessler, who are both the founders of Rock and Rags. I've personally worked with Kira for a number of years. She was on my team, and then also Kira branched out to to go build Rock and Rags with her brother David. And you know, I've been very lucky to continue to hear about their journey. I think there's a lot about their journey that our listeners can learn from. And you know, very excited to have you guys on today, Kira and David, thank you for joining me today on our growth marketing podcast. You know very happy that you guys were able to to jump on. you guys have a ton of experience bootstrapping rock and rags and and building it into what it is today and I think our listeners can you know learn learn a lot from the both of you, so thanks for jumping on
2: absolutely, thanks for having us
1: thanks, ma. So before uh, we kind of jump into Rock and Rags, you know, I, I obviously know a lot about you guys' backgrounds, but if you could just kind of share like each of your backgrounds and what got you into digital and e-com.
2: Sure. So I started Rock and Rags when I was 17 with my dad. He had a record store for over 20 years. And um, with the rise of the digital age came the decline in purchasing CDs and records. So we really needed to pivot. Brought in clothes and relaunched my dad's CD store as Rock and Rags. It really, all started with an Instagram account. That's what changed everything for us, and word spread rapidly through um, word of mouth marketing. From there, went to school for marketing, moved out to New York, was doing Rock and Rags the whole time. But I was lucky enough to get a job at a digital marketing agency, um, where I learned the ins and outs of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, you name it, marketing. I was also lucky to have a pretty great manager there, happened to be Heyman. So he taught me a lot of what I know. And I think when I came interviewing at that company, I remember you said to me, you're not going to be here forever. Like you have bigger things in your future. And I think it was really cool to come to a company where somebody believed in my dreams that at the time were Still, just dreams. But that was really my intro to the to digital, to paid media, marketing, etc., and then hit the ground running from there.
0: And for me, it was a bit more technical of a start. Studied economics at University of Illinois. Got really into technology, mobile apps, websites. Learned to program and UI/UX design. From there, started a couple mobile apps. Went to found a startup straight after college. Moved to Cleveland. Exited that startup. Moved back to Chicago, and that's where I joined the family business to use my technical skills to take us online. I uh, did that in 2019. And then we launched the online store in January of 2020. It, it was around that time, actually, I think it was fall of 19, where I visited Kira in New York. And we actually had dinner with you, Hemant. Uh, and I remember you trying to convince her to stay for another 18 <laughs> months. And I was thinking, no chance. Uh, I made her back. And uh what do you know, March 2020, I, I drove out to New York, got our ass out of there, got our second full time employee. We went super viral on TikTok and then the rest is history, uh, skilled our operation. And I think we were kind of forced to learn more about Digcom than we ever knew, especially myself, because I didn't come from that background like Kira did.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think let's talk a little bit about uh, going viral because, uh, you know, in the office, I would just see Kira just like looking at her phone and being like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I'd be like, what, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on? And and like, you know, she'd just be going ecstatic. And um, like, how'd you guys go viral?
2: That was a wild experience. And I honestly I have to give a lot of credit to David. He had read something that said, getting on TikTok now in late 2019 was like investing in Apple in it the was, 80s. It was actually
0: Gary Vee. I'm sure a lot of the listeners know Gary Vee. I'm sure Hammond does. Gary Vee had said, this was in 2019, get on TikTok. TikTok now. It's like buying real estate in Manhattan in 1898. Something along those lines. So we got on TikTok. It wasn't me posting the TikToks, of course. We hired a team of three college-age interns who were in person for winter break uh, 2019. And that was a few weeks before launching the site. And basically, we just told them, post five times a day, post whatever the hell you want. We don't care as long as we're posting. And they did that. And within a few weeks, had our first viral video, over a million views. And then throughout that whole winter and spring, seemed to keep going viral. And the algorithms were friendly to us. That in turn helped our our Instagram presence and we were getting a lot more follows, a lot more engagement there. And of course, with social engagement this is going to come revenue with any e e-commerce business.
2: Yeah. And I think the most wild part about that was seeing how going viral on TikTok really had this broad impact across all of our other channels. I remember in late 2019, I was just trying to get us to 10k Instagram followers. And mind you, this is 7-8 seven, seven, years of running this Instagram. Couldn't do it. And then come January 6th, when we actually went viral for the first time, everything changed. Our Instagram following skyrocketed. Our email subscribers went from 5,000 to 50,000 virtual, virtually overnight. So it had this really big umbrella effect on the business. Um, and that's when we learned like just how beneficial TikTok could be. And the best part of it was that We didn't need to spend upfront money because it was organic growth. Now, one thing to note is that it's not as easy to go viral today as it was back then, because TikTok has become a lot more saturated in a post-COVID world. But we we were very fortunate to get on it when we did.
1: I think that growth, like every brand wants that type of growth and that type of interaction and engagement. And, you know, most brands have like the opposite story where it's, Hey, here's their product. Is their product market fit? We're putting a bunch of money behind it. Okay, cool. How do we get CPAs down? How do we get AOV and ROAS up? Like, you know, that's usually the story for a lot of brands out there, but then there are... You know, the rock and rags of the world or, you know, even, uh, for us working with the Mayfair group or wildflower phone case that, that have this like unbelievable volume of organic growth. And then they launch into paid and which, which is like a, a very different approach than what most entrepreneurs like that are starting, uh, starting off kind of go through. And I, and, and I find that like, you know, pretty interesting. Tell us a little bit more about like your, you know, rock and rag expansion. So like, you, you gave us a background on on like what and Rags is, but, you know, tell us more about the stores. Tell us more about e ecom e expansion, because, I mean, I, I've seen, you know, your like office area and what you used to ship out of. And, and then you've grown so much more from since then. Right. So what has that journey been like?
2: I think it's been a whirlwind. Um, it feels like everything has taken so long and there's so much work behind the scenes. But when I look back, it was just 3 years ago that I was still working a full-time job in New York for another company. And the leaps and bounds we've made since then have been incredible. So we started in 2013 with one brick and mortar boutique. We were scared to walk into a booth at the clothing show because no one knew who we were. No one wanted to sell to us because we didn't have that credibility yet. And over the years, we've really built up that credibility and have those same brands that were turning us down now reaching out to us, like begging us to place orders with them, which is awesome. We kept that store for a couple years and then really outgrew it. We would have lines from the cash register all the way to the back of the store, and that was when we knew that we needed to expand. So we moved into a bigger location in a more central part of our town, in the town square. We're still in that location today. Then in early 2020, we launched the online store um, with David building that out and he can speak more to that. But then since then, we actually just launched our second location this time in Chicago in the heart of Lincoln Park. So it's been a really awesome growth experience and we love online, but we also feel really passionately about the impact that the brick and mortar store can make on building a loyal and dedicated customer base because of that human connection. So we're really proud of the fact that we're able to do both and are really looking to continue growing in both of those areas. Right.
0: And I think speaking on the human connection and the in-person part, uh, and circling back to going viral on TikTok, the first video that ever went viral on January 6th, like Sherry said, was a video of our store. It was like a quick little five second panorama. But what really drove all that engagement was people seeing, wow, look at this awesome store we don't have in our hometown, because obviously there was only one Rock and Rags at the time. And I think one of the biggest growth challenges that we face faced has been addressing national demand from going viral while only having one or two locations in the Chicago area. How do you make your customers in New York and Florida and California feel like they're a part of a Rock and Rags family when you only have physical footing in this one area? Uh, There's another video that went viral where we said, where should we open a Rock and Rags nest?" And I remember we had like 20,000 comments saying everywhere you could possibly imagine you should open a rock and rags. But of course, that's not feasible. Uh, and Hamid, speaking on what you were talking about with the traditional route versus one we've taken, we didn't have any funding. We didn't have any paid anything. We started with a pretty small amount of money and a couple racks of clothing and just bootstrapped everything from there, reinvesting our profits. So for better or worse, we weren't able to go and open 10 stores at a time when there was a demand for that we've had to really kind of go low and slow and we're continuing to do things that way. And that's For for good and for bad, you know we can't scale very fast. But then that also means it's a lot harder to shoot ourselves in the foot by scaling too fast. Some other scaling challenges we face have been running out of space in the basement of our Highland Park store. That's where we started our online store, which kind of forced us to get a warehouse nearby. And now that we do have two stores plus the warehouse, we're still facing operational challenges. You know how do you transfer inventory and keep track of everything? Assigning human labor. These are all just things that come with scaling business in our industry. But I hope that answered. Your question of what it's kind of been like—it kind of just scratches the surface, as I'm sure Kira would say too. You know, everyone thinks it's linear, but it's more like this.
1: You know, I like—I think um, there's one thing that I'd love to bring out. It's like there's so many brands out there, and you know, like we've seen this firsthand, right? Like, especially like between Kira and myself and and David, I know you've experienced this as well, but there's so many brands out there that are afraid to sell out of product and reorder and, you know, create like this demand, like this constant demand of like being back in stock. Why I bring this up is because like, because brands are afraid to sell out, they will uh sell out of inventory and, and then reorder or like figure out, you know, the next cycle to like rotate the business. I think there are brands out there that have, way over invested in inventory right and like growing slowly and growing profitably like slow growth can still be 20 30 40% a year it doesn't need to be like double head like double head count double revenue like year over year over year it can be like a uh, very thought out profitable and you can create this like demand and Why I'm bringing all of this up is because it's there. There are brands out there that have way over invested in inventory, and as soon as they over invest in inventory, and it's like, oh man, okay, cool. How do we pay for marketing expenses? How do we pay for X? How do we, you know, uh, afford to keep our staff because we're not selling at the rate you know we could have been selling at, or because like the economic factors have changed, there macro factors that have changed, so we're not selling at the same rate. And just kind of wanted to with. Presenting this problem, right? That other brands face, like, what are, like, what are your thoughts here? Because I've seen it way too many times and it just, you know, that can, like David, you said, it could really shoot, you could really shoot yourself in the foot, right? So.
2: Yeah, I think that's interesting because when, so before I worked with payment at the agency, I did buying for Macy's. And one of the things that they would tell us is if you sold out like over 95% of your, sold through 95% of your product, then you messed up because you're missing out on an opportunity. But then we see big department stores like that slowly trickling downwards, where the smaller brands that are more in demand and exclusive and selling out of things quickly are on the rise. So I think that there's a lot to be said about causing that demand and that kind of fear of missing out mentality. People need to be way more engaged with your brand if they want to get their hands on this product. Otherwise, it's going to be too late. And so we've been fortunate. We've had a few products like that, that have just been so in demand that we couldn't keep them. In Stock and that just fuels the fire. Whereas if you have way too much of something, then why would anyone want it? You know, if 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 you're sitting on piles of it. And so I think that's something we've also learned over the years. We did a really big buy last year, it was the year before, into our top selling style. And this was amazing at the time. It caused us to have our biggest year ever. But what happens when trends are changing rapidly and the demand is not as high for that product anymore, then you sit on it, which we've seen with other products. And so I think it's a delicate balance, but there's a lot to be said about causing that demand, having that sell out and drop mentality and that's why we've moved in that direction. We'll do limited edition drops. We'll carry really low quantities of stuff so that everybody in your high school, your college, et cetera, is not wearing the exact same outfit.
1: Cool. Yeah. I, I you know, thank you for just kind of shedding a little light. And I think that using some form of a math equation, maybe not 95%, but like, you know, the reorder is occurring at 70%, and maybe you're not doing like full on buys that are as large, but maybe there are ways to like cut down lead time or something of that nature to help you stay in stock, but not be over-invested in inventory. I think that's something important for just business owners, right? That have a physical product to just keep in mind. What advice can you give business owners, you know, based on
0: your journeys? First thing that comes to mind for me is... It's kind of cliche, everyone says it, you gotta outwork everyone. I think to really take off as an entrepreneur, you're gonna need some luck. And luck is real. You get good breaks, but the harder you work, the more likely you are to receive those good breaks. You know, it's I'm a golfer and there's the same in golf, the better you are, the luckier you get. And I think it's the same with entrepreneurship. The better you are, the harder you work at it. The luckier you get, the more likely you are to uh, to get those good breaks. So for any young entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs, young or old, you gotta outwork everyone because there's always someone, whether it's, you know, for us in another part of Chicago or in New York or Across the world in Russia, there's always someone who is going to be outworking you, coming for what you have, trying to beat you to the top of whatever industry you're in. So You got to outwork everyone. You got to be smart. You got to be creative, have a good mindset. And the other thing that comes to mind is shake every hand you possibly can in every situation. In this world, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And going back to making your own luck, the more people you know, the luckier you get and the more likely you are to get those good breaks.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think relationships matter, whether it's relationships with vendors, with your old bosses, with customers. All of the people that I've met over the past 10-11 years that have been running this company have really helped us to get where we are today. And I think a lot of people will burn bridges or and not value those relationships when like, looking even at us hey, and of how much you've been able to come back and help me over the years of since leaving our other job. Like I've value those relationships so much. And so yes, relationships are key. Same with thing with the customers. Like There's a reason that people are coming to us as opposed to an H&M and urban outfitters of free people like these giants. And that's because we actually care about our customers and the human behind them, not just the fact that they're going to spend money with us. So relationships are key. I think the other thing I would say, just I think we've touched on this, but that success is not linear. It's really easy to get discouraged when you get into a lull or when difficult things happen happen, but you need to have that grit to be able to keep pushing forward, uplifting yourself, uplifting your team, and knowing that if you work hard enough, you're going to come out on the other side of these walls. And I think it's easy to get discouraged, but you can't let yourself. You need to be mentally strong enough and bet on yourself that you're going to be able to push through.
0: What do we say, Kira? When in doubt?
2: That's inappropriate. He goes, when in doubt, figure it the F out.
0: No, it's when in doubt, zoom out. Oh. No, you know, we have another phrase. It's- is profanity or no? Because the the phrase is "figure it the f out." That's more of a problem solving phrase. But no, speaking on uh, the ups and downs of running a business, when in doubt, zoom out is something that we we do abide by because when you're in a tough time, it's hard to lose sight of just how far you've come and just how much you've grown. So that's something that we do lean on. And figure it the f out for ourselves <laughs> and our employees.
2: Yeah, but you have take a step back and look at how far you've come. I mean, it's easy for me to think, oh, we should be bigger by now. We should have done more. But then I think back to three, four years ago when I was sitting in my bed in New York, still working for someone else, hoping that this would take off someday. And it has. And so it's all about perspective and absolutely when in doubt, zoom out whatever little problem you're dealing with that day that feels like your world is ending. It's not. It's like, look at the grander scale of things and you'll be okay.
1: Amazing. I think that's, uh, I, I agree with all of those points. And just also like, you know, relationships matter, how you treat people matters, like having those conversations or check-ins or, you know, whatever it is, I think all of that matters. And then David, also to your point, right? Like you are creating opportunities by meeting and having those relationships or outworking and You're creating opportunities naturally for yourself and the more opportunities that there are, the luckier you can get. Or I like to say essentially the same thing, but you're putting yourself in the position to catch that break or to get lucky or, you know, it's the hard work that gets you there. It's just you're creating so many more opportunities. Amazing. so a couple, I just got a couple questions for you guys, a couple more. Where do you, where do you see digital going in the next five years? Like digital, e-com, advertising, like any take, you know, any thoughts, where, where do you guys see it going?
2: I can start with that one. So I think that personalization is key. As our technology gets smarter, we need to be able to create an experience for each individual that's really catered to them. So whether that means showing them products that they've viewed before or similar to what they've viewed or sending them something that actually has their name in it and is based off the fact that you know who they are as a customer. I think at the end of the day, human nature is that we all want to feel special, but it's really difficult to feel that way when things are are just happening through online. And so how can you create those unique experiences for people that are going to make them feel like they're a part of something bigger and that you actually care about them as a person? And so I think that that is going to become more and more prevalent over the next few years, for sure. That also has an effect on social media. You know, we see instead of these like short form videos that were really popping off before, we see storytelling and more relatable content. We see live selling where you can actually interact with people who are viewing your life in real time. So again, going back to that human connection and making people feel special.
0: Agreed. And uh, also, I see it becoming more competitive. I don't think that's, that's going to stop. I think it's only going to accelerate. I mean, you look back 10, 15 years, there were not that many big e com players in the fashion industry or in most industries. In the time since then, you know, we've had Shopify blow up and make it more accessible than ever to have an e-commerce store. Everyone wants to be an entrepreneur now. Everyone wants to have their specialty, their own business, their own e-com store. And we've seen that even in the four years or so since we've started all of these small businesses popping up, which I think is great. It's really good for the industry. And you're seeing the big guys feeling it. Amazon, Walmart, Macy's, they're having to innovate to fight you know, the masses of brands like ours, but we're also having to compete with each other naturally. So I think it's a good thing. It's natural progression. Having an e-commerce business is becoming more accessible. But yeah, next five, 10 years, it's only going to get more competitive and you're only going to have to work that much harder and that much smarter, and that much more creatively to beat out the competition. Yeah, cool.
1: I agree. And a big reason I agree is because your CPMs are always going up. <laughs> cool. And then... uh Uh, Last question. What is one question you to wish that I asked you and how would you answer it? That's a good question.
0: I actually asked that in my interviews.
2: Well, you're getting interviewed now. What's your response?
0: (laughs) I like it. I think I'm not going to give you an exact question, but I'll give you a question topic, which would be managing human beings. Because I know, you know, this is all about DigCom, Ecom digital, technology, online. But ultimately, behind every digital business, every digital marketing strategy, and every ad campaign, there are human beings working long hours, mornings, days, nights, trying to figure out the best way of doing things. And for me, personally, the biggest challenge with scaling a business has been the human side. It's been knowing when to bring more humans aboard, knowing how how to manage human emotions, personal events, You know, humans are not computers. We can't just crank 24 hours a day, no matter how badly we want to. So, I think a question about how do you manage humans? uh, How do you manage knowing when to bring more people aboard, knowing when to let someone go? How do you manage a person going through a hard time outside of work? A question along those lines, I, I think, would really speak to an audience of entrepreneurs and future entrepreneurs, because that's the biggest challenge for me as a business owner. I know it's a big challenge for Kira. Uh, And having talked to other business owners and entrepreneurs, it's been a challenge for them as well whether they have 3 employees or 30,000.
2: Yeah, and if you ask me what is the best part about running a business and what is the worst part about managing a business, the answer would be the same, managing humans and the human relationship. I think it can be the most rewarding thing in the world because you're able to truly better someone's life whether that's through knowledge or opportunities or having their voices heard, but it can also be really difficult, especially when you're a boss like David and I and Hamid, I know you are as well who genuinely care cares about your people. They are not computers. They're human beings who you really care about on a deeper deeper level. And so how do you manage those relationships and make them as positive as possible so that everyone has a good feeling and pride in where they work and the bosses that they work for?
1: This is, a, that, this is a whole nother podcast series we have to start, huh? <laughs> but yeah, no, absolutely. Taking like, I take a lot of pride in making sure that my team has everything they need, like from a work standpoint, but from a non-work standpoint as well. Like, are you happy, right? Like my check-ins are, hey, what's going on? Like personally, are you happy? Are things like flowing well? And And then there's also like the business side, like, hey, I need your help here or there, or I've noticed you haven't taken a vacation like but the rest of the team has. Like I am like forcing you to take a vacation next month or in the next couple of weeks. So you can have like that time and rest. And by the way, you can still take days after it's just you need to, you need to go rest. But then there are also the difficult conversations of feedback, right? And like, and so I think there's a couple different uh like I, thoughts uh around that for me personally. It's like we just did a whole leadership training like hired a consultant to come in and teach the team. We did that for like seven to eight weeks you know and then uh other things i kira you know this well very well about me it's like you know taking the team out making the team feel appreciated like doesn't matter who you are like on our team what level you are like you know the team and i we go do karaoke we go go go-karting we go to michelin star restaurants when we're like crushing numbers and you know we do like like i try to give back to the team in 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 that element and as what I've noticed is, you know, as our team members integrate more into our Digicom culture, a big part of what we end up seeing happen is people care more about people on the team. And we all make sure everybody is doing well and operating. And, and I think there's something to be said of like how, like, you know, we're, we're 20 people in total. I think once we ellipse like 30, 35 people, it's going to be tough. We saw that you know, at our past uh, work Kira, where once you break through a number, but a big part of me doing what I do is because I love doing what I do with because of the relationships and doing it with the team. So, you know, a big thing for me, I always call this out is like, my goal is not to be this massive agency. It's to do really good work and make sure like the team members are happy, right? And like that we're providing like education. And one day there are team members on our team that are going to springboard out into the world and go, build companies like rock and rags and like what you guys are doing. And, you know, I would like to hope that I've helped them just a little bit on their journey. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely all, we got to start a whole different podcast series.
2: Well, you certainly helped me on on my journey. And I think one thing like advice for other people that may be stepping into leadership roles like this is you're not always going to get it right. And that's okay. And one of my mentors told me this, like when something does go wrong, take it as leadership training. As you said, like, you know, you're not always going to be able to be perfect all the time, but you can learn from that and try to do better next time. And I think throughout your career, you're going to have those moments where you realize, you know, maybe I could have handled this situation better. I've certainly had them, but I take that in so that for the next time I know that I can respond in a better way and you're constantly learning and growing.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Where can our listeners find you?
2: We are all over social media. Check us out on Instagram at Shop Rags, spelled like rock and roll. So R-O-C-K-N-R-A-G-S. On TikTok, we are just Rags. We're on Pinterest, LinkedIn, uh, you name it. But most importantly, check out our website, shoprockandrags.com. And we hope that you find something that you like.
0: And if you're in the Chicago area, come say hi to us. We're either at our Highland Park store or at our Lincoln Park store in the city. And there's a good chance that you will find Kira or myself there on any given day. Amazing. Thanks for jumping on, guys. Thanks for having us, Emmett.
2: Thank you.